means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, we are back for another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We are doing a loaded chapter, chapter five, The Order of the Phoenix, and we have Jen and Julie back with us. Hey guys. Hey everybody. Uh, Before we get started on this chapter, I just want to shout out Danielle D, um, who posted on an episode that Julie and I did, chapter 27 of Goblet of Fire, uh, that's Padfoot Returns. And she commented, I really enjoy this episode. How about a debate between Sirius Black and Arthur Weasley? Stay tuned. Uh, We might be approaching that subject later in this chapter. So Uh, this chapter essentially just takes place in the kitchen, (laughs) essentially, (laughs) where uh, we get a little bit more interactions between everybody. Uh, We get some Sirius and Harry specific stuff. We get an end of dinner debate going on and then we get an actual full order of the phoenix conversation at the end and that's basically how we're gonna kind of split this up there are a couple of interesting quotes we get more of this tower of terror haunted mansion vibe of grimmauld place where they essentially just call it a dark dank filled with potentially boggarts doxies which i had to look up they're actually biting venomous fairies Yeah, so they're going to clean some of those out of the drawers because apparently those are a thing. Lovely place. Just a delightful place. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You get uh, the twins aggravating Mrs. Weasley to the point where she says a famous quote amongst the fandom, don't have to whip your wands out for every little thing. (laughs) Uh, We get some Bill, Lupin, and Arthur kind of foreshadowing the future conversations that we're going to delve into by uh, discussing goblins and which side of the war that they're going to take, which is kind of interesting. And we get more of uh, Albus fostering loyalty amongst people and how he kind of, his unique way of recruiting soldiers, let's say, (laughs) Uh, very Albus kind of thing. But let's dive into this whole kitchen scene, unless you guys have more Disney-themed discussion on Grimoire Place. (laughs) Not Disney-themed. But um, a point that you had brought up, Dan, was with the screaming portrait. Oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah. how um, Sirius's mom magicked herself to the wall for eternity and... Permanent um, sticking charm. Yes. And Dan had brought up um, that couldn't you just remove the wall that the portrait is on? Full-on demolition. And the first thing I thought of is... What a great HGTV show, <laughs> Wizard Remodeling. Because I'm, I was thinking about it, I was like, okay, yeah, that does make sense. You just take out the wall. And then I'm like, okay, but we're talking magic. You magically stuck a portrait to the wall. Do you really think that someone who magically sticks their own portrait to the wall so that you can't take it off the wall didn't think about demolishing the wall? Like, how fascinating of a show would that be yeah. to see, like, you know... Just if wizards you watch, scratching their heads yeah, trying like, to figure this out. If you out. watch a whole remodeling show, like, now, like, a running joke in, like, my house is any time that, like, they take out a wall and they're like, oh, man, 
that was a load-bearing wall. We're going to need a beam. Like, my husband and I both look at each other, and we're like, that's going to be $8,000, because for some reason, it's always $8,000. <laughs> I don't know if that's what it costs in real life, but on, like, home improvement shows, always $8,000. So, like, I'm just imagining, like, you know, a bunch of wizards going, like, all right, we're going to blow out this wall to get rid of this portrait, and then they're like, oh, man, it's a load-bearing wall. That screams. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just... That's a load-bearing portrait. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I just no, need to I put that, it. like, image in everyone's mind that, like, I mean, there's nothing that shows that the Wizarding World has TVs, so maybe there's a radio show about it or something. I don't know. But I think it would be hilarious to see what the, like, home remodeling shows of the Wizarding World would bring up. I love that idea. I, I would I would watch that. I really would. Maybe part of the HBO show can just be them tuning in to yes. a wizard or <laughs> Molly Weasley off. would be all over that. Come oh my on. god, yeah. Molly Weasley would watch She'd it all, all the time. That. And she would be like, I saw on Wizarding like Weekend Warriors <laughs> that you can use this spell to get the stain out of wallpaper. <laughs> Arthur, let's totally remodel the burrow. We can do it. We can do it. <laughs> No, please no. Um, uh, before we get into all the interesting stuff, let's let's bring a Mundungus Fletcher conversation in just briefly because uh, that Albus recruiting soldiers, no one seems to really like Mundungus Fletcher except maybe Sirius. Sirius gives him the most leeway, mm-hmm. and uh, Sirius says, "Oh, you know, Molly doesn't like him, but Albus helped him out in a tight spot, and now he's like." fervently loyal to Albus. I'm like, well, we've heard that story before a couple of times over with, you know, with Hagrid and with Lupin. So that's not surprising. But that being said, I feel like Mundungus should have about the same security clearance as the kids. Because he doesn't seem reliable (laughs) at all in any way, shape, or form. He fell asleep in the middle of the meeting. Yeah. (laughs) He fell asleep in the middle of the meeting. He left to go get some cauldrons that fell off the back of a broom. It was a good deal, though. Yeah. Well, uh, they were probably thin bottom cauldrons, and thankfully Percy's not here, because that'd be a whole fight. We know we know Mundungus isn't going for those thick bottom cauldrons, but uh, I, f- I just feel like he should have that same security level. Like, what makes him more trustworthy than any of the trio? I mean, I also think that it says a lot to like Dumbledore's like loyalty Mm -hmm. and like the loyalty that people feel towards him that he's comfortable enough to be like nope i don't think that this person's gonna like literally get us all killed i think he believes i I mean clearly i don't think i i know elvis puts all of his faith in how much loyalty he's accrued and believes that that is paramount to anything else he he clearly believes wholeheartedly in that virtue yeah and we don't know what the situation was that Dumbledore got him out of True. and how yeah. bad it was. It might not have been like, oh, wow, thanks for uh, not getting me Just, written up. Like, If we know <laughs> what Mundungus is up to, he clearly got him out of Azkaban somehow, some way, and which just leads me to a more nefarious view of Albus with like, I could save this guy and I could use him in whatever I'm going to, whatever situation I might, like, it seems odd to me. Uh, so this is uh, where I shift to Julie. Because we get a little serious Harry interaction. Yes. And I, I like it where uh, Harry and Sirius kind of have this back and forth initially of just like, how was your summer? 
Oh, it was awful. Well, couldn't have been too bad, right? And, and Harry's like, what are you talking about? I was like, isolated and alone. And Sirius is like, at least you got to go outside. Like, I've literally been cooped up this entire time. And hey, you got to fight a Dementor. A deadly struggle for my soul would have broken the monotony nicely, which is a great serious quote. Oh, it's, it's so good. Quote. We spent a lot of the last chapter kind of like hating on Harry a bit, and I'm actually hating on everyone really. I'm I'm gonna drag the Harry hate into this chapter as well. Um, when Sirius like greets Harry, Harry's internal monologue is that Harry expected a better welcome, like. You know what? So did Ron and Hermione, Harry. And like, look what you did Bring there. Bring the heat. <laughs> so, I just think it's so funny that like he eviscerated his friends. To be fair, they did not expect a better welcome. They fully I mean, expected him to be angry. <laughs> but not that angry. Like, you know, he fully eviscerated his friends and wasn't even like, oh, hey, it's great to see you guys. What is going on here? Like, nope. There was no, like, joy. And then, like, Sirius is, like, you know, cooped up in this place and essentially imprisoned again. And Harry's like, Sirius is I mean, he could have been a little bit happier to see me. Sirius, He's a brat. Yeah. Sirius yep. is also just as guilty about not divulging information. Uh, I think he, Sirius might have done it in a little bit better way. And he's like, I know this is frustrating. <laughs> I know. Yeah. But. I, but, I mean, like, Sirius is also in on the meetings and ins- understands the information and we're going to get more into the what Harry the should and shouldn't know. I love the conversation between Sirius and Harry because you start seeing more of I guess the camaraderie between the two of them because like even though they've lived completely separate lives and experiences they have so many parallels between the two of them and i know that a lot of people kind of hate on Sirius because like he views harry a little too closely to james but the thing there is that if lily and james were still around that's how he would have seen harry he would have seen him as a younger version of james and i don't think that Sirius like views Harry as a replacement of James. I think he sees him as like the part of James that's still around. And like, it also again shows like how much of like an idiot Harry can be because he's sitting there going like, well, what do you mean? Like you got to be here and be involved. And it's like, no, Sirius was literally just as trapped as you are. Mm -hmm. Like you didn't think about the fact that, you know, Wormtail is now Voldy's right hand man and that he's not gonna say, oh yeah, by the way, Serious black, alive, big black dog. I defended Harry a lot in the last chapter. I refer to him as naive and dumb often in this chapter. But before we get to all of that, Jen, what are your thoughts on the Sirius and Harry of it all before we get to the everybody in the Harry of it all? Um, I think it was a nice interaction between the two of them. I think it's nice to get glimpses between the two of them where they do uh, have, a, I guess, camaraderie would be a good way to put it. Um, I think I just mainly agree with most of what Julie said. Julie was kind of dipping into the end of dinner. It was a nice, peaceful dinner, except for the occasional Molly yelling at Mundungus for smoking and stuff like that. But uh, Sirius, of all people, kind of breaks the peacefulness and uh, starts a air of extreme tension in the room. For, first of all, I just want to start out. He uses Voldy's name twice. Uh, which is no small feat. We have done a pretty decent job of tracking how people 
in this world refer to Voldy. And um, I think it's quite interesting that, well, first of all, in the advanced guard, you had a bunch of presumably battle-hardened people make odd hissing noises and flinching when he started to say Voldy's name. He didn't even say the name. He said Vol, and they started to freak out. Sirius is just like, yeah, so you probably have questions about Voldemort. Well, I think with everything that Sirius has, like, been through between, like, being framed for a crime he didn't commit, being stuck in Azkaban, and now, like, essentially being, like, re-imprisoned. Like, at this point, like, what's there to be afraid Afraid of at this point? Yeah, no, I agree. Like, so I think it makes sense, and I also think that the reason that Sirius kind of disrupts the peace of dinner is purely as a tool to show Harry that he's supporting him because you know if you pull him aside and say like listen I wanted to tell you everything no one else does but him sitting in front of everyone else and saying like so wait you're not going to talk about this you're not going to ask for any information and to literally make all of these other adults who have essentially been lying to Harry own up to what they're doing and say why yeah it, it essentially kicks off this, and we've kind of broached it in the last chapter a little bit about maybe you should tell Harry something. And that idea, just the idea of telling Harry something, and I'm sure this is something that the Order has probably discussed. I'm sure the Order's actually discussed this in their meetings. But now we're getting in on this conversation. What should Harry know? Should Harry know anything? And this kicks off a massive debate Specifically between Molly and Sirius. I guess let me just set the scene for the whole discussion. You get Molly with the, we should protect Harry from a lot of this information, shield him from a lot of it. And you get Sirius who's like, he, of any of us, he's the most deserving to at least know something. To at least, not even know something, to at least ask a question. And whether we decide to tell him the answers, that's fine, but he should at least be able to ask a question. And you get into this Molly, serious debate of Molly, to, to what Julie said earlier, he's not James, serious. He's not James. And I, I feel like that whole fandom idea of serious viewing Harry as James begins here, because Molly literally calls him out for it. And then Molly walking a line of calling Sirius irresponsible and his history being rash... Sirius is getting a little hot-tempered at this point, (laughs) understandably. Both of them, Molly and Sirius, are two very strong-willed individuals that do not like to back down. And they're going after it, and they're starting to get a little bit more personal with it, and they're starting to go into levels that are a little bit awkward to sit by and, like, watch this. Molly brings Arthur into it. Arthur calmly, very Arthur Weasley, is like, you know, hey, let's slow this down. I'm, I'm thinking this way with it. Lupin jumps in. He's like, I, I agree. I think Harry's entitled to some information here. Molly, not loving it. It's fine. <laughs> then you get Sirius coming at Molly with like, hey, he's, he's not your son. Molly with, he's as good as, which is a, that's a very interesting dynamic there. There's so much to this conversation. And there's a lot to break down. Everybody feels a certain way about Harry. They all care about him. They all want what's best for Harry. They just have very different opinions on what that should be. 
and and Jen, I'll head to you first here because I know <laughs> I know Julie's chomping at the bit. Yep. Um, but uh, what are kind of your thoughts specifically about the Molly serious uh, confrontation? And you know, what side are you kind of leaning on? There's a lot to dive into just with that. Um, I'm very strongly on serious side for this. Um, I think that Molly is coming from a good place, but I think that she's being very overprotective. I think that she is out of line in this discussion. She's kind of the one, I believe, that starts the personal attacks first. Yes. Um, by saying he's not James serious and, and bringing up how he's been irresponsible. And I don't think that any of that is necessarily relevant to the conversation. Like she's taken pot shots at him for really no reason, more or less because she just, I don't know, fully disagrees with him, but doesn't really, I don't know really what legs she has to stand on with this. He is not her son. Technically he's under Sirius's care. Sirius is his guardian and should be able to decide what information Harry can or can't know. Um, I thought it was kind of ridiculous that she immediately goes, you know, Arthur, back me up on this. Like, she's expecting people to agree with her that she's right, because I personally don't believe that she is. Yeah, I think that the cheapest shot she takes at Sirius, which I think is just, you know, it's a, it's a way too low of a low blow, is the whole, well, if you were really looking out for him, you wouldn't have been in Azkaban for most of his life that's a cheap shot because it is not his fault he was, right? he was even, wrongfully sent to Azkaban it doesn't even that. it doesn't even make sense yeah. yeah I mean that's that's a it's a shot at Sirius that's like and I think that's where maybe Lupin and Arthur are like whoa you need to take a step back <laughs> like time yeah. out I, we think Sirius is a point I also just don't really understand the why is it bad that Sirius is the fun uncle? I think it's because so many people view it as, like, he, instead of treating Harry as a minor that he needs to protect, I think a lot of people view it as he instead treats Harry as his best friend and as, like, an adult. That's my take on it, is that people always have an issue with it, not because he's, like, the fun uncle, but because people see it as Sirius doesn't see that Harry is someone that still needs to be protected. I find it interesting that... I, I, can, compl I can see that, and, and that makes sense as to why people are against it. It's funny because, to me, that's just, like... I don't think... He can be protective of Harry while still wanting Harry to be informed. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it kind of obfuscates the point, which is Sirius believes that he's mature enough to be able to handle this information. I would agree with him about that, even though he was just a totally emotional, immature idiot for ever since he's arrived at Grimmauld Place. Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's being protective of him technically in a different way. Mm -hmm. Sirius is fighting his own reputation as mm -hmm. you know they knew what he was like as as harry's age uh more of a reckless individual but my question is is did they though from personal experience because molly and arthur are probably older they're they older. would be older so yeah. in reality like anything that they're hearing about james sirius lupin wormtail like it's all they, they also knew them i think from their first the wizarding Here's, war yeah it, 
which they weren't much older. I mean, James died when he was 21. Yeah, <laughs> so. and so I, I think that's the other part that is a little bit of a cheap shot on Molly's side is that, like, you know, it, yes, you're calling him out because he's been, like, reckless in the past, which I think is, like, valid, but at the same time, like, most of the stuff that you actually know about Sirius is more so hearsay and being retold versus like and think about what everyone thought of Sirius when they thought he was the reason that the Potters died so you're telling me like that's the story that you knew for 10 years and then like you find out that he actually like is a pretty good guy and like tried to like defend his best friend and now you're using it against him like I love Molly Weasley but like there are cheap shots after cheap shots after cheap shots in this argument. This isn't the first time Molly's taken this position with Harry. Mm -hmm. In Prisoner of Azkaban, regarding Sirius Black, yep. she opts to not tell Harry anything, and Arthur is the one that's like, no, 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 Molly, we need to tell her, we need to tell him about this. And that's their first argument that we see. She's also kind of blindly defensive of Harry in Goblet of Fire, where she thinks that Hermione is two-timing Harry with Crumb, <laughs> right. and just blindly takes Harry's side, even though she's getting her information third-hand, and it's made up. Yes. Yeah, I think, I think it's important to realize with Molly, though, that she's not coming at this from nowhere. And there's a non-spoiler and a spoiler version of this conversation that happens. But the, the, the non-spoiler part is she does know James and she does know Lily and she does know what happened to them. So, I, you know, he's as good as my son. She really views Harry as almost an adopted son. But I don't think she does in the same way Sirius does. Like, Sirius sees Harry at, I mean, like, quite literally my biggest thing that says like Sirius is the one who is correct in this argument is at the end of the day Sirius is Harry's legal guardian. Sure. Yeah. I get that there's also some like issues there because I, to most of the world he's dead yeah. but like at the end of the day Sirius is the one who gets to make the decisions whether or not that's like fully above board like right. but yeah. He is the one who is responsible for Harry. And yes, like, I know that Mar that Molly, like, views Harry as a son. But, like, to what you're saying is that, like, he knew Lily and James, or she knew um, Lily and James. So she also views him as a son. Like, it's not because she knew his parents. She views Harry as a son because Harry happens to be her son's best friend. If Ron and Harry had never met, she would view Harry as just any other kid, but it's because like she knows that he was mistreated at the Dursleys. She knows that he has no one, and since she knows that he has no one, she's essentially adopted him. And so she's taken it on herself that this child, it could have been Harry Potter, it could have been Neville Longbottom, like whoever it was that Ron friended, she would have taken that defensive position over. Whereas, like, Sirius, who knew Lily and James very well, well enough to be the godfather and to be legal guardian to Harry, like, he's the one that can actually say, you know, if anyone's going to say, he's my son, I would give that to Sirius. Like, Sirius fought to get out of Azkaban so that he could write 
the deaths of Harry's parents. Like, so you could loop it back around and say that Sirius tried to get out of Azkaban purely to help Harry and to take care of Harry, not just because he was wrongfully put in there, but to save his godson. And to me, like, that's where this whole is Sirius right, is Molly right, very much leads into Sirius's direction. Like, Molly is stepping on a line. It comes from a good place Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. a good heart. And I love Molly Weasley very dearly. But this whole argument, like, she needs to understand that, like, while she loves him like a son, she is not the one that gets to make choices and decisions for him. Yeah. On my outline, I literally put battle of parents who aren't. Yeah. And technically, neither of them are Harry's parents. Uh, to your point, Sirius does have that familial connection because he's the godfather. And I have two questions for you both. One is, Anna and I, had, we had a recent discussion at the end of Goblet of Fire about Sirius walking that line between being a godfather and then being a father surrogate, almost, in that he knows his best friend's not there anymore to be his actual biological father. Mm-hmm. Where is my line? Like, I've been in this kid's presence for all of, like, 20 minutes. <laughs> like, not including, like, when he's a baby. But it's like, she brought up the idea of when Harry entered Dumbledore's office and Sirius is waiting for him, Sirius doesn't give him a hug, doesn't do anything like that. He goes, stands beside him, and puts a hand on his shoulder. And her question to me was like, is that the appropriate reaction for Sirius? And my response was, Sirius is going through a lot. He's got to figure out what is the appropriate interaction with Harry here. What is that relationship? What feels right? What feels natural? How does this work? <laughs> you know? So what do you guys think on that? Well, Sirius is a father figure. As far as the, like, you know, he doesn't hug him, he puts a hand on him, like... Sirius has been locked up for most of Harry's life. And, like, can you imagine, like, you went through what Harry just went through. And, like, yeah, you know Sirius, like, not well. But, I mean, you've still been communicating with him for the whole year. You've, like, met with him. You know him decently well. But, like, you just experienced not the most traumatic event. Because, obviously, his parents died, like, in front of him. But it's not that he really remembers that so I'm gonna call what happened at the Triwizard Tournament most traumatic experience of his life up to this sure. point yeah um you just experienced the most traumatic moment of your life and someone who you kind of know for the past year comes up and like hugs you in support like might not be taken as well as the like hand on the shoulder of the I'm here for you, I support you, and when you think about it, like, if you're putting your hand on someone's shoulder like that, you're literally doing it to support them most of the time. Mm -hmm. It's not a, like, all right there, buddy. It's like, you're holding him up. You're showing him that you are there for him, that you're going to help, like, ground him and be his rock. And so... Do you think Sirius is kind of walking that that fine line of how do I really grow this relationship for how does this I think that Sirius is trying to figure out like you know he knows that he's not a free man and that he can't like you know 
He can't take Harry to Hogwarts Express. He can't take him to a Quidditch match or something like that. And so I think it's a very fine line for him to figure out, like, how far can he be this father figure versus just being a fatherish figure in his life. Right. Uh, I have a couple of thoughts on this. So the I'll start with the hand on the shoulder. I actually think that that is showing some level of emotional intelligence on Sirius's part because it is a supportive gesture, but it's also something where you're acknowledging that what instead of being like a like a I feel like a like a strong parental instinct in that situation is if you see that your child is upset you're going to naturally want to hug them to show your support with it. Um, I don't think that it's an unsupportive gesture to just put your hand on someone's shoulder because I think you're actually acknowledging that what that person might need in the moment is not a hug. Like they might need space. I can be very hit or miss in terms of where my emotional state is if it dictates if I want a hug or if I want to just do not touch me, leave me alone. I need to process things on my own. Mm -hmm. So I think a hand on the shoulder is a very emotionally smart way of you're showing support, but you're letting the other person dictate if they want more than that. It's showing that, okay, I'm open to this. Harry can come hug him. I'm sure the hug would have been reciprocated. Or if Harry is not in a place where he wants to really engage with that and he's trying to sort out his own thing, a, a hand on the shoulder is very much like a, I am here, but I'm letting you lead this. And I think that's a, it's a smart way for Sirius to show support while not. Yeah, it's an easy way to shrug out of it, too, if Harry needed that extra space. Exactly. It's a, it's a, I think that it's a smart play on his part. I don't think that it's an indicator necessarily that Sirius is feeling awkward or doesn't know anything like that. So I, I look at it in kind of a, in that positive it's, realm. Uh, when Anna brought this up, it was actually the juxtaposition of, ironically, both Molly and Sirius, because we get two interactions from, for lack of a better term, we're talking about this in parental terms, so two parental figures in Harry's life, where uh, Sirius had that hand-on-shoulder moment, Molly embraced Harry in a hug that he even says he's never felt something like this before, you know, and lets him just, that motherly love kind of thing, and I guess Anna's point was a little bit more like, is it just a gender boundary where it's okay for Molly to to hug, but Sirius has to stand more strong behind? I also think it's their own form of expression, though. Like, think about everything we know of Molly Weasley from all of the past books. Like, I think that, like, literally Ron could have come home with, like, Draco Malfoy and been like, hey, Mom, we're besties now. And Molly would take him up in an embrace like she wouldn't just I mean like she might be a little like snarky but like that's who she is there's some people that they always like need or want the support of a hug or like a big gesture I mean a good way to describe Molly is she's an embrace on her family or the people that she perceives as family whereas Sirius I mean the man was locked in a like literal prison that was also not only physical but mental and now he's trying to figure out how to create this relationship with someone who he should know extremely well 
And the only way that he's going to show that support is by giving giving Harry the option to either retreat from it or grow it. I am becoming increasingly convinced that Molly represents a more emotional aspect to this argument and Sirius is more of a logical reaction to this argument. Um, I think that I think that this was unintentional, but there was a point in this chapter where someone used the word Molly Coddle, and I feel like that is very indicative of Molly. Um, I think that she tends to treat not just Harry, but also her own children as children. She is very much in the like mindset that they cannot handle this. She's very reluctant to acknowledge where they're at or what they've dealt with with this, mm -hmm. so I think she's very emotional and she's very infantilizing to some degree of not just Harry, but also her own children. The other thing that I want to point out, because this bothers me a lot with the whole fun uncle thing and godfather versus father figure and stuff like that, fatherhood to a toddler is going to look different than fatherhood to a uh, child, yeah. to a yeah. teen, to a young adult. It's going to progress. You're not sure. going it to... Yeah, yeah. Right. It's going to naturally evolve. I think jumping into a relationship with a 15-year-old... Um, and, and having that pseudo-father figure, I'm not totally that convinced that it's going to look drastically different than what Sirius is doing right now. Like, I get that Molly's concerned that he's thinking that it's James or wanting to be best friends. I don't think that there's anything wrong with trying to, if you had a 15-year-old teenage son, there is going to be some level of that relationship where you are trying to develop a friendship. You do mm -hmm. want to be able to hang out with your teenager. You do not want to just be the strict authoritarian, like, do as this, do as I say, blah, 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 go to your room. Like, you're going to want to build a, an actual relationship with the person that he is. Sure instead yep. of just like the parent angle and i don't think that sirius has been shy about the parenting angle because there have been times where he's told harry you stay inside don't do this he sent the letter earlier in this book in goblet of fire when he was giving him advice over the uh flu powder network there were still things where he was saying you have to be careful because people are out after you so he's he's not afraid to try to be to, to lay down the to, law. To, to lay down laws or, or to put boundaries into into what that looks like. So I think it's a really unfair characterization that Molly throws out there of implying that he only wants to be friends, he only wants to goof around, and it's only about filling in this void that he's missing from, from James. I think that's why it's really good when Lupin cuts across the whole thing with, like, Molly, you're not the only one that cares about Harry at this table. Mm -hmm. Serious sit down. <laughs> like, I actually really appreciate how level-headed <clears throat> Lupin is through this whole conversation. And Arthur, for that matter, both of them. Yeah, and I, the reason that I'm giving like Lupin a little bit, I guess, more credit than Arthur is, in reality, like Lupin is in a similar position as Sirius. Like, he was best friends with James. Like, sure, not as close as Sirius and James were, but let's be real, like, Harry would have probably referred to him as, like, Uncle Lupin. And the fact that Lupin can sit there through this whole argument and instead of either hopping on Sirius's team of the, like, no, he does need this, like, we've been in the trenches, like, together and with our friend, and we know what, like, Harry's general disposition should be, and, like, Lupin has 
arguably been around Harry a lot longer than Molly has because they're at, at school, school. Yeah. So the fact that he can sit there level-headed and essentially like say, you know what, we all care about him. Let's not have an argument over like who loves Harry the most. And that through the whole time, he just kind of stays level-headed. He sees when like, you know, the argument's gonna come to a head and is like, all right, we need to call it quits on this. Like, we're good. And he like sets the boundaries without trying to become a third parent. I also think that Arthur doesn't really get involved in all of this because I think that Arthur fully agrees with Sirius, but he's not going to have that argument with Molly. It's not a fight that he's going to pick. Honestly, I think Arthur takes a firm stance, considering I, I agree. I don't think he wants to really have problems in the household with Molly. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's clear he fully agrees with Lupin Yeah, but I think that's why he's a little more toned down. I don't think it's because he was being calm and level-headed. It's because... Arthur's a pretty was, chill guy. He, he yeah. was also uh, looking out for his own self-interest of not starting... He's not, with he, he's not dumb either, but yeah. yeah. I, I like that it took him a while to answer. He takes off his glasses. Oh, he yeah. chose his words <laughs> very wisely. Yeah, the entire time he's like, how can I phrase this? Yes. Was, uh, not... If I use this word... Yep. Nope. Yeah, nope. He's, he's not nope. dumb. Yep. He's not dumb. He chose his words very carefully. Which also loops back to the argument of Arthur and Molly versus Percy. But yeah. um, we won't get back on that topic. <laughs> I also want to make one quick uh, pointing this out. Um, Lupin is a teacher. I feel like this is a very like teacher moment of his. Where mm-hmm. He's like, I'm going to gonna try to get order from my children quiet (laughs) down (laughs) yeah um i do want to circle back to this in in the spoilers just because i think there's a lot more to the serious arthur lupin molly conversation that we can dig into a little bit more uh more meatier in the in the spoiler section so we'll table this discussion for right now to go into the actual Order of the Phoenix conversation that they have, and all the information that Harry does get let into. That being said, there's more further discussion on non-Harry related things, uh, where, long story short, everybody but Ginny ends up staying. And that gets into more of the Molly Arthur discussion that you were bringing up, where, you know, Arthur goes, Molly, you can't really tell Fred and George to leave. They're they're adults like they technically can make their own decisions and then ron and ron and hermione then bring up the whole well harry's just gonna tell us anyway and which like makes me laugh that molly wouldn't have thought of that that molly's like all of you harry's two best friends and the people who invented the extendable ears like all of you. She, she tries to assert her dominance over yeah. where she feels her because realm is. Because she just is... lost her argument, right. so she needs to win this one. But I don't think Fred and George had any right to stay. I I get that they're overage, but this is an order. Like, you can be overage, but you don't have to. We're still not letting you in our club. For... They're still being careful about what's being said. They're not, like, divulging every right, secret. Right, but that's not, it's not, it, I don't think it's as simple as saying, well, they're overage, so they can make up their own mind. But they're this of age, so... why couldn't they sign up? I mean, think about well, the that, that, that Lupin steps in on is like, yeah. the reason they're yeah. not in the order is because they're still in but, school. Everybody yeah. else here is out If of, this out is of order business, just because you're over 18 and I'm over 18 and Dan's over 18, if Dan and I have a club that we want to talk about, we're not obligated to tell you just because you're of legal age. 
Like, you can make your own decisions, but we still also can say, like, well, you know, well, you, you know what but I mean? I get like, what you're I saying, but, like, I feel like the... You can't kick them out of a room if they're adults, I mean, you I guess, can. Is, you guys can kick me out of the room right now right. if you wanted it's to. Right, it's Sirius' house. Like, Sirius can be like, this is my house. You're no longer allowed in the living room. Get out, or the kitchen, get yeah. out of the kitchen. And But I think, for me, the issue is, is, like, they are legal age legally speaking they can make their own choices and like you know if their birthdays were at a slightly different time of the year they would also be out of school and of age and I think the only reason they're not members of the order is like a minor technicality that's us grasping at straws not anything that like has actual merit it's not like they're sitting there going like well they're at school and they're spies at school and they could get kidnapped at school and they won't be able to dedicate like it's literally the like more than likely Fred and George said they wanted to join and Molly like threw a fit about it and then they're like well they are still in school so they can't this is like a World War II situation it's like you can't join unless you're 18 or over were there people that were under 18 yes but they found ways to get around that how do okay so this might be bringing up a broader question of how does someone get accepted into the order of the phoenix is it anybody can join the order of the phoenix well but that's the thing so there are there zero like if the three of us using as using us as an example isn't good because there's only three of us but like in like nato right where it's like do you go from the three of us to nato (laughs) i mean (laughs) so well but so nato has a thing where like in order to join every other member nation has to clear it right So, like, you can't just, like, I'm a member of NATO now. So, like, is there something similar to, like, so does the order... I would assume it's just Dumbledore that's deciding, like, who... Because it's all, if you look at who all's in it, all of them have some level of trust with Dumbledore. Most of them were first Wizarding War veterans, anyway. So that's most of them. But... The answer would be Tonks. Yeah. Because Tonks is relatively new to this whole thing. Right. And, but... Lupin specifically says, like, no, 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 she's an asset because we recruited her from the ministry. Like, we got, she, we, we want orders. And she was a new or unfamiliar with her. She believed us. Great. Now we have a young order. So my point is, I guess the, where I'm, where I'm trying to go with this is if they're, (laughs) if they're just open to everybody and they're using the technicality of, Fred and George not being able to join because they're at school, then fair enough. If there's any other level of qualifications to join the Order of the Phoenix, I don't think that it's enough to say, well, they're overage. I think you have to say if they if they would have, they have to be accepted into the club in order to stay to talk about the club. I mean, if you look at who's They're not allowing Harry as part of the club, but well, they're including him right, on this but conversation. Right, but, but the argument is not that... It, because they're also allowing Ron and Hermione, and those are, like, like special circumstances. The argument that they put forward in the book is because Fred and George are overage, they, Molly can't tell them what to do. And my whole thing is, just because you're overage, if there is any other level of qualification that you need to pass in terms of getting into the Order of Phoenix, maybe Molly can't tell them, like, yeah, go to your room, and yeah. they don't have to listen, but they sure as heck do not have to... I think it's just because they're it's filtering... It's not a binary. It's not a binary. I think it's just because they're filtering the information. I... My thoughts on it is that, like, look at who's currently... Like, the Order of the Phoenix is small right now. Mm. At some point, 
the conversation came up because they're of age and it was brought up like they're still in school they're still children yeah. because they're in school when in the, whereas in reality the day they gra- graduate do you, did we ever find do you graduate from Hogwarts like is there <laughs> I assume so like, do you have like a cap and gown yeah, what's like the ceremony for there's that? nothing talking about what happens once or you're is already it just wearing like, a cap and gown as your uniform I mean true I guess <laughs> is it just like all of a sudden the end of the year they're like well we'll never see you again bye leave <laughs> like, get out so anyway and like, Gryffindor wins again go ahead you know as soon as like their seventh year ends they would have been in the order anyway. Yeah. And it's just purely, like... It's just a matter of time. Yeah, it's a matter of time. They're going to be in it. And, like, I get what you're saying, that just because they're of age doesn't automatically mean that they could be in it. Because, obviously, like, everyone seems to be, like, very well vetted before they're approached to join. Right. Yeah. They're already there. They know the <laughs> order exists. The day that they're... They, graduate, finish, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> the day that they end their Hogwarts career, there yeah. we go, Well, they would pretty much automatically be members and get all of this information. And so to me, when they're saying, like, you can't tell them what to do, it's the, like, listen, we already prevented them from joining. They're going to be in this whether we like it or not because, like, no parent wants to see their kid go to war and that's essentially right. what they're ramping up for is going to war and so I think that the twins not being involved was a layer of protection of the like yes this is more than likely inevitable but let's push it off for as long as we can and I think this was the like okay listen like we're fooling ourselves here yeah. they're going to be joining us in a year and at this point like if we're also looping Ron and like yes he's a special circumstance because of his relationship with Harry but like when our older children are not all looped in because of Percy, obviously, but, like, if Percy wasn't such a terrible person and then had that argument, like, he would have also been in there and yeah. part of this fight. And so it's, like, when you have all of our older kids know the information, Ron knows the information, the twins who in, you know, approximately nine months are also going to be joining us and need to know this information, it seems dumb to not give them the edited Sparknotes version of information. Well, and, and But that's what we get, is the edited Sparknotes. And that's yeah. why I think they're okay I, with it. I don't mind that. I just mind... I'm being really pedantic. I just <laughs> mind that they say, well, they're overage, we can't stop them. That's patently untrue. If, if because they wanna... you already did stop them from joining no, in right, the first like, place. That's my, that's my point. I'm, like, I'm reading this, I'm like, that argument makes no sense. If they just want to be like, yeah, well, you know... like. I know it's me being pedantic, but, like, if they just wanted to put it... We know that they'll get the yeah. information, My guess is, is whatever. that Molly threw a fit when, yeah. like, everyone was like, yeah, they can join, and so they put it in, and it's either being like, all right, like, hun, let's be a little yeah. reasonable of the situation and realize that, like, our children are adults and can make choices it's no a, matter how it's much... It's already been established, America. like, we're going to let them ask questions. If the questions are too aggressive... We yeah. aren't going to say anything. It makes sense. And it's like... I, I, I understand the, like, it that makes sense. And it's not like they're joining, joining. So, I just yeah. didn't, I just, it bothered me. Uh, the actual conversation <laughs> is, is really not a whole lot. I mean, literally, first of all, I'm just, I'm going to get on my little mini Harry's an Idiot rant because... Ooh, I'll join you. Okay, good. <laughs> because one of the first questions he asks is, well... 
because uh, Sirius and Lupin do a good job of like building Harry up here. They're like, it's because of you that all of this is and, like, it's because you and what you did is so great. And then Harry's like, well, how does Elvis knowing help anything? Really? How dumb of a question is that? How does Albus Dumbledore, knowing that Voldy is back, help? What? Harry, you're not helping your own case. If you have a seat at this table, don't ask dumb questions like that. Could you imagine, like, Get you know, here. all of these adults just, like, fought to have Harry involved in this conversation, and that's his yeah. first question, and how they didn't all internally go, like, Face palm and I put be like in my notes face palm and like, oh, like literally just go oh. you know what never mind yeah I would I would have just been like okay we're done <laughs> we're with Molly and Dumbledore now oh, it doesn't matter gosh. that having this information could be useful but, and helpful and keep you safe like nope nope ladies it's just not even that he continues <laughs> because know. he he like the the tone he's coming across in makes him seem like he's assuming because he's been stuck at Privet Drive therefore no one else has been doing anything. Oh, well, what, what have you guys been doing? No, we've, uh, you know what? We've actually just been chilling here and having dinner. <laughs> and, we've been uh, hanging out and talking about how yeah, nice it is to not deal with you. <laughs> like, what do you think they're doing? Like, the, the naivety of Harry just blows my mind in this scenario. I cannot get over it. But anyway, I'm going to try my best because we're running along on the non-spoilers, so we've got to move forward. You know, we've discussed a little bit about Fudge's position and the whole uh, dichotomy between him and Dumbledore and that fracturing of their relationship, and they get into the politics of that because apparently Harry doesn't understand that either, which I get. He's a 15-year-old kid. He's not supposed to get worldly politics, but my goodness, figure out that Fudge likes the position that he's in and wants to stay there. Anyway, Albus has been voted out of chairman of the International Confederation of Wizards. He's been demoted from Chief Warlock on the Wizen Gamut. He's possibly being stripped of his Order of Merlin first class. That one seems excessive. I'm like... Yeah, that's kind yeah. of rude. He did that for a lot of great things. You're just going to ignore the a lot of great things that he's done, and that seems excessive. That just doesn't make sense, because it's not a comment on his current capacity. Correct. If the main yeah. argument is that he's losing it. Like, stripping him of stuff he's previously done makes that sense. That seems odd. Yeah. That seems unfair. And there's talks of trying to get him essentially thrown into Azkaban which I think is such a fascinating thought because like that's like if you captured Voldemort and saying like we'll just put him in Azkaban like come on yeah. <laughs> like, I do like okay that's a situation where the adults are a little naive of like do you really think Dumbledore's just gonna be like alright you got me and then like cuffs yeah the... also like if Sirius was able to like mind game his way out of Azkaban <laughs> you really think that Dumbledore is gonna like sit there and be in misery no he'll probably figure out a way to like talk about socks with the Dementors <laughs> like come on guys <laughs> if the argument is that Dumbledore is what losing his mind yeah that's kind of got bad implications about like, well, you're losing your mind. We're just going to put you in a prison that's going to drive you insane. Like that's. And then you have not... an insanely powerful wizard being driven even more mm. insane. That's true. I was just even thinking more from like an elder care perspective. Like, <laughs> all right, well, my aunt's losing her mind. Let's chuck her in the wizard prison. Like that's not. Jen, there's no therapy. There's no, no HR department. The there's no counseling. <laughs> there's no mental health facilities at all anywhere in this. You know what would help your nothing. mental health? Dementor. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, we are running long on this non-spoiler. We will get back to this discussion of the actual conversation after the break. 
and then we'll dip into some more uh, Sirius and Arthur discussions and, and all of that good stuff. So we will be right back. All right, we are back with the technically the spoiler section, but we're still going to have some non-spoilery conversations for a little bit. I will state loudly that we are now in spoilers. But I spent a lot of the end of the non-spoiler section uh, discussing the Order of the Phoenix talk by ranting about how dumb Harry is. Um, what did you guys think of the conversation as a whole? I don't think there was a whole lot of anything given away, and when it was, they ended the conversation. So, what do you guys think? I find it funny, because I was actually fairly... I wasn't, like... I wouldn't say sympathetic to Harry with this, but I wasn't mad at him. Like, Steve doesn't know what's going on. We've had just had massive what? role reversals <laughs> about Harry I in the last... I completely disagree. I'm with Dan on this, <laughs> where I'm like, you are an idiot, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> like... I get it. He's been out of the loop. He literally knows nothing. And, like, when you don't know anything, the first question that you're going to ask is, like, so what's going on? And it's not like Harry was expecting this to happen. You know what I mean? It's not like he was like, well, you know what? I'm going to go downstairs and Sirius is going to tell me everything. Like, I'm sure that when they're like, you know what? All right. What do you want to know? That he's like, wait, hold on. I could have just asked? (laughs) Everyone's been telling me nothing. Like, hold on. And so, like, I get it that he didn't necessarily, like, know what to ask, so he needs to, like, take in all this information and, like, try to get information he's not supposed to have by asking questions, but boy, does he do it in the dumbest way possible. (laughs) And while reacting to things, like, you know, the, well, what does it help that Dumbledore knows? And it's like... (laughs) That was was pretty bad. Come on! Or it's like, you know, when they're talking about how... The Daily Prophet is essentially, like, trying really hard to discredit both him and Dumbledore. And, like, Harry literally says, like, do they really think that I make it all up? And it's like, dude, you're a 15-year-old. Most of the wizarding world doesn't know what you've done and what you've prevented in the last four years. So, like... Yeah, someone who's famous and all of a sudden is 15 and, like, might see that his star is not twinkling as shiny. Like, yes, it is very believable that you made this up and that Dumbledore, who is getting up there in age, like, who also hasn't really had, like, a big major accomplishment as of late, like, might also try to polish your star a little bit. Like, it's very believable to people who don't know what's happened at Hogwarts in the past four years. And Harry's just like, do they really think I'd make it all up? Like, yeah, listen to yourself. Who would immediately believe that story? You should be lucky that 20 people, like, joined the Order of the Phoenix based on your story. And, like, I just feel like there's so many things that Harry says that are like, and this is why they didn't tell you anything. Jen, defend I, her. Yeah, no, I will. I, I feel like I, I feel like it's kind of, I, I think that it's more based in the fact that he feels like he's gotten zero information from anyone about anything this entire summer. He hasn't seen any headlines in the Daily Prophet. He still really didn't get anything from Hermione or Ron. There's been nothing on Muggle News. He's he's operating at not even like a kind of like a, a negative amount of information. He's probably been maybe trying to think things through and just cannot see past his nose in terms of what's going on. So he, he might just assume that 
either there's a ton of stuff going on that he's got zero ability to comprehend or I don't know that they've been doing nothing which is kind of a terrible assumption but in, in terms of like the the you guys keep ragging on him about like how has that helped how like h- how has it helped is a stupid question when you look at it from the perspective of like well, obviously it's going to help because Dumbledore knowing is like super, you know, important and We're Dumbledore can tell all of these because things. Because Dumbledore found Right, out. exactly. Like, but I think it's also a valid question in another sense of he has zero concept of what's been going on. So like how how has it helped? How has Dumbledore knowing helped? Has there been anything tangible that has come from that? Because he has nothing to go on right now. So it's like yeah like I get it it's it's a frustrating question because you want him to be asking more intelligent questions but from someone who's got zero understanding of anything that's transpired I feel like saying well how has that been helpful even if it's kind of dumb it's still at least something that might actually people will fill in and he'll be able to get information like I'm not I'm not too critical of him asking dumb questions because I think he just is so far out of his element with being able to ask but the flip side of that is like you know you're talking about how he's so out of the loop and he's mm-hmm. reading the prophet and he's like reading the muggle news but he's he's not he openly admits that he's only been looking at the front page yeah, of the prophet he's scanning for major things yeah and he's like you know what if Voldemort comes out into the open it's gonna be front page news instead of the that's his you know, naivety well, that, like he's an idiot. Is yes, I agree with you on that. That's super stupid. Ooh, I got really not, concerned, Jen, yeah, that we no, no, weren't no, no. going to agree in the end because we usually do. Do not worry. We can still agree on that. He's an idiot for not actually reading the daily. Pro- I actually had that in my notes of like we didn't cover that fully in the last chapter, and like he's a total idiot for not reading it cover to cover. You didn't think that maybe you should read the prophet from front to back to see if there was anything in there that seems somewhat suspicious that you could then send off to Ron and Hermione and be like, hey, somebody, give this to someone. He hasn't learned from all of the times that Hermione's been reading everything and gathering information. Like, I think that's kind of her role in it. I don't think he's like the reader of the group. <laughs> a shocking statement for shocking. everyone listening. But <laughs> I guess, but I, it, it, it's kind of funny because it's almost a backwards thing of like, I'm not mad at Harry in this conversation because I think he's just operating on nothing, but I don't disagree that he's a complete idiot for not actually trying to read between the lines or read together more information, but it's just in character for him. You're not mad. You're just disappointed. Jen. Yeah. You, you said, uh, Jen, you said that at points he can't see like further than his nose on, on some things. And I think part of that is he gets caught up with what he specifically has done or experienced or gone through in the last four years. Yeah. Which is significant. And that's more than probably 90% of this wizarding world will ever, ever experience. The people at this table, though, most of them, except for Tonks, lived through fought in the first wizarding war. It's not like they've yeah. done nothing. It's not like they haven't experienced what Voldy can bring to the situation or the world. They've lived it. It's like and they survived themselves. Yeah. So I think Harry is losing that a little bit too of like, I've done this. What have you done? And you know, if I was Lupin or Sirius or even you know the Weasleys, I'd be like, really kid? Like, we've seen some stuff. <laughs> like, we've also seen some stuff. I think if you're trying to understand something, though, that, like, is a new experience and 
even if you're surrounded by people who have lived through it, I think sometimes it can just be difficult to know what you don't know. I think they do a really good job of telling him a lot and also telling him nothing. Yeah, it's a couple yes. pages of just like, there's no good yeah. information. Where yeah. you might as well have said, this is the Order of the Phoenix. This is how you spell Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> right. like, this is where we are hanging out. Do you see how there's 20 seats around the table? Yeah. It is because there are 20 of us. Are you happy that you're in the loop now, sir? That was the impression that I got reading this. I'm like, why didn't they just tell him this outright? This isn't giving away any information. This well, is just it's filling in the gap. Well, it's making him feel like he's part of the process because he's now asking. He's a more active participant. It yeah. felt like they could have been simpler and avoided a lot of fights if they had just probably like, told him this from the beginning because he didn't get anything from it. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that I can assume is that, like, obviously there's not really a ton of ways to communicate without it being intercepted. So it's like, how do you even say the Order of the Phoenix has been, you know, and, reinstated? And the two people responsible for being in Harry's close vicinity, I wouldn't trust with that information. Fig and Mundungus oh, Fletcher, oh, yeah. I'm not putting that on them. I'm not saying tell him that when he's at the at the Dursleys. I'm saying oh, he walks okay. in the door and you sit him down at the oh, kitchen yeah. table and you're like, this is what's been happening. And then... Because you, you, he gains nothing from this conversation. He gains one thing, and it's at the very end when Sirius was saying he's after a weapon that he didn't have, and then they immediately shut him up. Which is just enough to kickstart a whole book worth of yeah. speculation. Of Harry being an idiot. Yep. Yes. <laughs> um, on that note, we will jump from non-spoilers to spoilers. So this is your spoiler warning. Five, four, three, two, one. Great. Spoilers. Let's jump back into the serious Molly, Arthur, Lupin kind of conversation that we had from the non-spoilers. And um, I'll say one thing on Molly uh, before we get into that Arthur serious kind of discussion. Molly, uh, there are reasons for her being maybe more protective than she probably should be. Obviously, she's got more literally in the game because <laughs> Charlie and Arthur and Bill and you know the we I mean she's got a lot to lose she's got a lot and it would kill her to lose any of them there's that well she already has lost she lost in that first wizarding war both of her brothers died she's lost she has this reflex in her to protect and to hold everything close until she can't actually do it anymore, which is a, I guess we talk about a lot of these characters having a PTSD moment, but this is kind of her version of it. Again, wizarding therapy. Sure. Yeah, really. A hundred percent. But it, it's not like she's coming. Wizarding so therapy. It's not like she's coming from nowhere on this is all I'm saying. It's yeah. like there, there's a history there that breeds her protective instincts. I think to, there's a there's a slight difference in my mind between so we can explain what her actions are, but I don't think that it excuses them. Mm-hmm. Sure. No, I, I think in our discussions over the last two chapters is a lot of there might be reasons for what these characters are doing. Yep. That doesn't mean what they're doing is the correct thing or the appropriate yep. thing. But I think you know we've had these conversations in the past about other characters like. Fudge and Pettigrew and stuff like that, where it's like obviously the ends do not necessarily justify the means, but it's not like they're coming from no place. Like they always have their line of reasoning or their history of why they're making the decisions that they're making. 
even though those decisions might be wrong, you see where they got there. Yeah. You seem unconvinced. Yeah. (laughs) I'm, the thing is, is like the first Wizarding War, from what we know about it, like everyone lost someone or something. Mm -hmm. And you're saying like, you know, since Molly lost her brothers, well, in reality, so did Sirius. James essentially was his brother. Maybe not by blood, but like they were brothers. And so to sit there and say like, you know, I mean, I do think there's a point with Molly has more skin in the game because like I said earlier, like half the order of the Phoenix is the Weasley's yeah. right now. But, right now yeah. and in the future. Yeah. Like it's even more of a percentage in yeah. the future. And I I don't think that it necessarily excuses her protective actions. Like, I get being protective of them, but, like, I have a note on here that, like, you know, keeping the kids out of all this should have ended the second that Harry arrives. I get that when you're first there, you're not going to tell them, especially when you're saying, like, we can't tell Harry anything, because, like, Again, remembering that they're 15, that Ron and Hermione are 15 anyway. Like, if you tell a 15-year-old, like, you can't tell anybody, what's the first thing they do? They go to their best friend, and they tell their best friend everything that happened. So what's your opinion on should Ginny be included? I think it's unfair to not give Ginny something. Especially when, like, there's no way that this whole conversation happened completely out of the blue there was some type of this is the line that we have to draw of what information can go out and i mean we've said it like 27 times they didn't get any actual information so at that point like you're now gonna have jenny just on her own little island like you're not giving any actual information you're not telling them like this is where the fight is this is what the weapon is this is what this is like I feel like you could have said, listen, you're all not old enough to be actually involved in this. Yes, I understand Fred and George, you're of legal age, but, like, you need to understand that, like, as your parents and parental figures, like, there is some level of protection that we need to give you, but also to protect you, we need to give you some level of information so that, you know... These three idiots over here that look for the information anytime someone tells them they're not getting information doesn't make this whole thing blow up in our face. And so I think that they should have given Ginny something, even if it's the same SparkNotes version that they gave everybody else. I think it's naive to think that she's not going to get that information eventually anyway. Mm -hmm. So It kind of pits her, I agree with all that, and it kind of pits her against her brothers. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't like that that's kind of There's a... a deeper discussion on what Molly thinks of... I, even though I don't think that's at play in this particular moment, but, I mean, there's something to say that Molly is... As protective as she is as all of all of her boys, I think she's that much more protective of the only girl in the group, too. I think she is, too. And being the youngest. And, and being, being the, youngest. the youngest. I don't think that was at play here specifically. I think she's just trying to grab any amount of control yeah. that she can get at this point. Yeah. But... I just, I think it's really unfair that she's isolating Ginny in this. And it's not the first time that we've seen Ginny be isolated. Mm -hmm. And I also think it hasn't been fair any of those times. 
Hey, well, if it were up to Molly, she'd, she'd isolate the entire group yeah. of them. Like, <laughs> yeah, but... It's not like she's trying to isolate. She's like, get them all out. But, but it's like, if you really wanted to protect them from all of this and all this information, mm-hmm. like, you're telling me there's not some cousin Ginny could live with or some, you know, Hogwarts summer school or so. I mean, we yeah. know there's not one at Hogwarts, but like, you know what I mean? There's not like a wizarding summer camp or something that you could be like, okay, like, we're not going to be at the borough. We're going to be at the, like, you know, pretty much like the war room. So we're going to have our kid here and hope that, you know, the kid who literally almost accidentally brought Voldemort back. Yep. <laughs> like, nope. We're just going to, like, shove her in a little corner and just send her to a friend's house. Like, Hermione and yeah. Harry always end up with Ron. Just send her somewhere. Mm-hmm. Send her away. Send Be her to Luna. Her. Well, but that's what no. I'm saying is like you essentially moved your family out of your family home and into the headquarters, which makes sense. There's a lot going on and it's probably easier to just be there all the time. But do you, do you, if you're going to do that and you didn't want your children involved, your children should not have been moved with you. Do you Clearly think, agree. Do you think there's any semblance of like you live through, it's like almost, I'm thinking of it like. Uh, great grandparent living through the depression and then what their life looks like afterwards is they hoard and they keep like mm-hmm. everything because they lost everything once mm-hmm. so they're never doing that again if she lived through the first wizarding war do you think she's also trying to be like nope you guys are all within my line of sight well, I'm all sure the time what it is is that yeah. like they all came with because like i mean i also say this coming from the perspective of like a parent is like it doesn't matter how much you trust someone else. Like, you're never going to trust your children with anyone else more than you trust them with yourself. And Unless so, that name is Aldous Dumbledore. Yeah, yeah. then maybe. Right? And that's and ill-advised. That's yeah. <laughs> so I feel like the issue is, is that Molly's going, the safest place for my kids is with me. Right. But... I think the safest place for us to be is at the headquarters of this whole operation, but I'm going to pretend like our kids don't know that and then get mad when they ask questions. Whereas, like, I think if you gave them even a couple of little breadcrumbs of information, like, you'd feel a lot less angsty about it or like you know they have the extendable ears to try and listen and it's like you know maybe if you gave them something and said like this is what we can tell you like you know after every meeting of the order be like all right here is the outline that doesn't have any actual details yeah you know here are the people who are in attendance and that's pretty much all we talked about congratulations you learned something yeah. Forget these scrolls that Bill was hiding, yeah. like at the very, very end. Forget those. Forget well, it's about like, those. I don't think everyone gave an update. Ta da! Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't think Ginny should be allowed to see like the battle plans, but like right. she should be at least allowed to know a vague idea of what's Well, happening. that's the split between Molly and I guess the, the guys at the table is just like Molly. They're allowed to ask questions. They should be allowed to ask questions. What information we actually divulge is another thing, but I, they can ask a question. I like Molly a lot, but she does seem to kind of have this mindset of, like, this is how it should go, and then just not be able to deviate from it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, too, when we're looping back to, like, the original point of us bringing this all up, all of the parental figures kind of, like, against each other is 
you see that and then you see the men at the table who are essentially like, oh, yes, we want to protect them. But I think especially for Sirius and Lupin who like have seen the trio in particular, like do things and see things that no 15 year old should have ever had to go through. And they look at it through the lens of the, okay, but the way to protect them, especially these three, is by giving them something. Because when they don't have anything, they go looking for it. And how have they gotten into trouble or gotten into danger every single time? It's when all of the adults have said, like, no, you shouldn't know about the Sorcerer's Stone. And then Harry ends up with Voldemort. Oh, the Chamber of Secrets, no, we're figuring it out. Everyone stay locked in your towers. And then they come face to face with Voldemort again. Like every single time that you deny these three basic information, they go looking for it anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think especially Lupin and Sirius like understand that, especially knowing that Lupin's seen it more than anybody else. (laughs) And like Harry seems to take after a lot of his dad's like personality and so if they can see that in him and they go like, listen, us sitting here and treating him like a child is not going to end well for anyone, they pretty much still treat them like children. Like they talk about like the weapon and there's a ton of like vagueness going on and not saying that they needed to give them like the entire battle plan, but again, not giving them all the information that they needed is what eventually leads to Sirius's death. A couple of thoughts. So I think what you described was a better way of describing what I was trying to say, where Molly Weasley has this thought in her head of how things should go, and in this case it's their kids, they don't need information, and she's completely unable to adapt to the fact that the trio constantly makes a mess if they don't have all the information. Secondly, the other thing that you also brought up where Harry has a sentiment that's very close to James, I also think that that's something that Sirius and James were always seen as a pair, and they always they had a similar personality style, although Sirius was a bit more rash, was mm-hmm. how I remember it being described. So I think Sirius also is very acutely aware of that, and that's also what makes him able to empathize with Harry in this situation and advocate for him and say, no, we should be giving him information because it's not just that he's seen that Harry does have those tendencies, but he's experienced. Exactly. So And he knows that it would be bothering him and how he would be reacting to so we've kind of uh we've talked a lot about Sirius as kind of that godfatherly figure and uh I wanted to save this bit for the spoiler section because uh we we get a little bit of Arthur in some of the previous books but I think where Arthur really becomes that father Molly gets the term as the mother of the series because she's the predominant mother figure in the whole series Arthur, I think, is a very understated father of the whole series because, let's be real, Sirius is not long for this series. Sadly, Julie, I know. (laughs) Um, But he tries, and he tries to step up to that. He just doesn't have the length to cement that. Arthur going forward, Arthur in the past, in the last couple of books, has done a really good job of advocating for Harry, for being there, for giving him some fatherly advice, being the little snippets that Arthur's in. Going forward, I think Arthur is uh, just a gleaming example of what a father should be. And Molly and I discussed this in the last, uh, in chapter three, but like whenever any character, not just Harry, but Harry especially, 
needs something, they always tend to go to Arthur for it. And whenever Harry's like, you know, I don't have Sirius to talk to. Lupin's giving me attitude. I can't go to Lupin. Where else am I going? Dumbledore won't even talk to me. Where do I go? And he always goes to Arthur. And he always has that sit down. And Arthur's always like, okay, let's hear you out. I'm not dismissing you. I'm not throwing away your thought or your opinion. I'm not calling you stupid. Let's figure it out. And it's it's an interesting kind of... You see where Sirius is starting with his relationship with Harry. And where he's trying to get to before it, it's cut short, tragically. And, and then where Arthur kind of has always been and then continues to elevate to that next level. Um, what are your kind of thoughts between, like, we get some of the... I'm not including Lupin because Lupin has his own father issues <laughs> in this series that we see, but just with Arthur and Sirius specifically um, and kind of that fatherhood role what do you guys kind of see in that? The point that you kind of bring up is like Sirius doesn't really get the chance to fully evolve into the father role where obviously at this point like Arthur's been a father for over two decades and when you kind of look at how Arthur's treated throughout the series I feel like if either James was still alive or if Sirius had like made it to the end you would have seen a lot similar of characters maybe a little bit more like brash in how they approach things just from what we know about Sirius and James but I think a lot of like the sentiments would have been similar to Arthur like Sirius doesn't get to just lay low he essentially didn't get to become a father until you know Harry was almost 14 and so now all of a sudden you're thrown into the thick of it like you don't get time where, like, your kids don't know what you're saying anyway. And so, like, if you mess up, like, it's maybe not as bad if you say the wrong thing. Like, he is literally at the point where he needs to prove himself as the father figure, as the defender, the supporter. And I feel like Arthur gets to be a little bit more, like, confident in his father role. Because, like, you see it a lot... I think is in it a this more chapter, role, would you say? I think it's natural because he's had so much time in the role. I mean, if you do anything for almost thirty years, like I think you're gonna feel very natural at it. But like I, I just feel like since Arthur's had all of this time, and you see that like he's always there, but he's never like a loud presence most of the time. That's Molly. Yeah. He's, yeah. yeah. And he's there when the kids need him, but he's not going to be, like, combative with his, his wife. He's not going... Like, he chooses his battles, even if it's like, oh, yes, dear. Kids, don't worry. It's hiding under the rug. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, like, I feel like since he's had so much time in this role as father, he's been able to kind of, like sit back and watch it and you see it here where like he clearly disagrees with how molly's handling something but he's not about to cause that like riff in his family instead he's gonna sit there and go okay now's the right time to remind you that like the twins are of age they can make their own decision now's the time to like 
remind you that we need to like support them and give them the information. And I think if Sirius was either in Harry's life earlier or lived longer than he does, or if James was still alive today, I think you would see very similar characteristics. It would just be that Arthur would be a quieter version and, you know, James and Sirius would be the ones who like illegally buy their kids beer, but are also great parents. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like that's the easiest way to put it. Like they would be the like fun dads, but not like, not to the detriment of their child's like growth and development, but more so to the like, they're super fun, but also super supportive and always have their kids backs. So I think they end up kind of being eventually one in the same. You're just seeing them at different phases of life. Different phases of their fatherhood yeah. potential. I want to give you a chance to answer all of that too, Jen, but I also wanted to throw out, she was mentioning it, you know, if James had survived a lot, if, if James did survive and was the father to Harry, how do you think it would have changed this whole perspective of the uh, irresponsible, reckless streak? Because I'm, I'm assuming I'm not a father, but I'm assuming fatherhood does change an individual quite a bit. Mm. And I would assume James would become a little bit more... Tame? A little <laughs> bit more tame in his fatherhood because now he's got a, a kid to watch over and protect and a family to you know grow and develop. And maybe Sirius like, takes a note from that and calms down a bit, or takes a left turn and goes, like, continues his rebellious streak and, you know, whatever. Thoughts on all of the above? Um, in terms of that scenario, I could, I could, I, I feel like James and Sirius felt like they were brothers, and I feel like if Sirius saw James starting to mature and settle down, I think Sirius would want to mature and settle down. I think they would want to stay on the same, roughly the same, like, level of things. Um, I don't see, I, I, I would be shocked if there were some scenario of James is alive and matures and Sirius is like, I'm out, I'm not doing this, I'm gonna go be a, like, I, I think James would, or I'm Sirius, off on my motorbike. I think Stop. Sirius would put more of the priority on maintaining the relationship with James than on his like independent streak because I think he really values that relationship. And he'd be a total sucker for baby Harry. Let's be real. Oh, 100%. Oh, I'm sure. Like, yep. <laughs> yep. There would be like a car seat in the motorbike. <laughs> yeah. I could see him coming over and, and still kind of being the uh, wild voice of things. You know, like, yeah, James, why don't you, you know, get Harry and we'll get him this broom and Harry's, you know, like, two or something. Yeah. Right. Like, Lily's like, stop trying to get him to fly around the house. <laughs> like, I could totally see that. But I don't think that he, um, I, I, in my head, they're, they would remain friends and on roughly the same level. Um, Arthur is kind of a hard one. Um, I think that he's very understated and I think he's very calm and I think that's always a good quality to have. I think he and Molly balance each other out very well sure, in that yeah. respect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, um... Well, that was a big but. <laughs> yeah, I, um... I think it's good that Harry has that constant calm presence in his life, but it kind of... I don't know that I really got the vibe that Harry 
responded as strongly to Arthur as he did to like Sirius or was able to relate in the same way. So mm -hmm. I agree with Julie's point of you're kind of, it's a comparison between like Sirius and the very early stages of figuring it out and Arthur who's got a ton of experience under his belt and they are in kind of different phases and I could definitely see a thing where Sirius kind of mellows out but I don't know that I, I think in terms of impressions on like Harry or how Harry would respond differently to them as father figures I think it's just you know apples and oranges I don't I don't know that there's like a I don't think that Harry bonds the same way I think Harry's Harry and Sirius I think have m much similar personalities and I think that's a stronger thing for, for him. Like, I think it's great that Arthur's around and he does go to him with some things, but it doesn't feel like Arthur's necessarily ever his first choice if there are other people around. Dumbledore is serious. Because he goes to everyone else before he goes exactly. to Arthur. Like, he yeah. looks to Arthur, but it's the, yeah. like, you know, first I'm going to go to Sirius. Okay, Sirius isn't responding, so I'm going to go to Lupin, who is, you know essentially in the same like almost kind of same realm as Sirius of like his dad's buddy okay they're not answering well guess I'll go to the big man Dumbledore's not answering either <sighs> okay Mr. Weasley anyone oh, yeah. please but to Hi. Arthur's credit he's always there for Harry, he's he's, he's just never a good really, guy. Yeah, yeah, he's old reliable. Yeah, exactly. Like he's there for all of his kids, and my guess is is that he takes it's... him on those fatherly field trips. He took him to the Quidditch World Cup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like my guess is is that like even in his own home, it's probably most of the time when the kids need something, they go to Molly, mm -hmm. and then it's you know if they're frustrated with Molly or Molly's like too busy taking care of all of the children and the borough that like then it's you know they sit down at the table with their dad and they're like I just can't believe that this happened and he gives like the good advice or he gives the information that they need and it's something that's not necessarily like recognized until like you're sitting there thinking about it and you're like wow my dad was actually like super like supportive and always gave me like really good advice and really good like information and was always there for me but I feel like Arthur kind of like flies under the radar where Sirius is like I'm gonna show you that I'm here for you and I'm supporting you and Arthur's like here's five dollars under the table <laughs> Yeah. For you to get what you need. Yeah. I, I do. I, Did I, I drop it? I, I agree that Arthur definitely flies under the table, but that's my point. Is he does fly under the table, but he's always there, and he's there more often than you think of. Like when you look back at the other books, mm -hmm. he's there always, and the twins obviously have a particularly special bond with Arthur. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But to your point, as they get older, I'm sure Charlie and Bill specifically have that like appreciation of Arthur because I feel like the difference between Arthur and Molly is I feel like with Arthur you can say whatever to Arthur mm -hmm. yeah. with Molly you gotta watch your words yeah, like you, you have to watch how you yeah and, if yeah. you phrase something poorly or you just blurt out something that could that can go very poorly very quickly yeah Arthur is just like you know what just tell me I'm not gonna get mad I'm not gonna like we'll figure this out and I don't know. I, I always love that characteristic in Arthur. 
I think it's also like, you know, talking about how Arthur is kind of the dad of the series. I also feel like that's part of the reason why later in the book, like he's the one that JK Rowling chose to have like a near death experience of being attacked is because like you kind of put yourself when you're reading these books, you're like, okay, like the Weasleys are all part of like the main characters they're in this plot armor bubble like nothing's gonna happen i mean like look at Ginny almost died but she's fine and then like all of a sudden you get walloped with arthur like almost dying and you're like wait wait wait. no 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 (laughs) and i feel like that is like the reality check of like honestly of the series because you see especially the main trio like defying death how many times like I mean let's be real like we've probably lost count at this point how many times they should have died and didn't and so it seems like they have this happy little bubble around them and then when all of a sudden like Arthur Weasley who's been the dad of the series and stays the dad of the series like if you were to pick any character from the Order of the Phoenix that was going to get attacked and almost die, would Arthur have even made your top three? Or would it have been, you know, Tonks, know. who was just Sturgis recently... Sturgis Podmore would probably be nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying, though, <laughs> yeah. is that it would have been, you know, yeah. Tonks is a new character who you kind of learn a lot about. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, like, other characters who are essentially just names to fill a ticket. Yeah. And so you look at it and go, okay, it's probably one of them that gets attacked. And then all of a sudden when it's Arthur Weasley, like you feel like you just got stabbed in the gut. Like it, it's not just faceless characters that we're losing here. Mm-hmm. And then it's a one, two punch. Cause then she kills. Sir- well, we don't know that Sirius is dead. Wow, you are really, you are really really flying that flag. You're holding on to that thread really hard. Uh, We will leave Julie to just keep clicking that refresh button on Pottermore, waiting for that article. Jen, do you have any other spoiler thoughts for the Um, the chapter? We were going to touch back on Dumbledore and Mundungus and his um, getting people out of tight situations Mm -hmm. and fostering loyalty and because you said something interesting that I I wanted to talk a little bit more about but you one thing that you mentioned was you thought you're like well the loyalty had to be tied to maybe getting him out of like some some potential criminal problem given Mundungus's uh, habits but how bad does it have to be that you then pledge like strong enough loyalty depends on how bad he wants to stay out of Azkaban (laughs) But why would you? That's a. I, I know Dumbledore puts a premium on loyalty. Why are you trusting this guy so much when he keeps messing up and? That premium on loyalty what? must be. I, I don't know. To, to answer your question directly. Yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't, and that's why yeah. I proposed like, why doesn't Mundungus have the same clearance level as like Harry? Because. I don't trust them with any more than that. It's probably, though, just because the order's so small. I mean, when you only have 20 people, it's not like you can say, like, okay, you five get all the information. You five get half the information. The rest of you ten, like, 
we'll tell you where to show up. You need to have some level of trust when it's that small. Where in the world is the rest of the Order of the Phoenix in the Seven Potters? Like, why did we have to put Mundungus in that group? <laughs> like, I keep bringing up, like, Sturgis Podmore or Hestia Jones or Emily Ma Like, where were they at? Could they have not been called they upon? Were, they were busy. <laughs> they were busy on the Tuesday of their first meeting. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I think... Uh, it's that, if I'm going to answer my own question, it's because Snape set it up with Mundungus. Like, that's how they orchestrated that whole thing mm -hmm. and how they got the info back and forth, but... I just, I can understand still. keeping him on board because, you know, you want information from him and he's a good person to have and stuff like that, but, like, maybe stop trusting him with, like, the important stuff because he's, yeah. like, not really good at it. Yeah. And, that, and that's the nicest way I can put it. Well, that's... he's not good at it. <laughs> to, to your point, then, then Dumbledore must really value that whole loyalty thing, like, the top. Like, that's got to be the top thing he considers... That's why Most I want to know, like, how, like, bad of a situation did Dumbledore get him out of? Because, like, don't get me wrong, Azkaban sounds pretty terrible, but, like, did he get him out of the kiss of death? Maybe he was already in Azkaban, and then Dumbledore came in and was like, listen, back off, let's go. Like, it has to be something so bad that someone who literally has no loyalty to anyone but himself... Yep can be trusted with this level of secrets that he could easily go to, you know, the Malfoys and be like, listen, I have intel. Sell, sell it to me. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. If he's so interested in money and. Yeah, fine. Count me in. What's my cut of the check? And yeah. like, so what is it that was that bad that he got out of that there is that loyalty to not go. Maybe Dumbledore right. is just hanging it over his head. And, like, at any given point, I could just throw you into Azkaban, or I could turn you over to the Dementors, even though Dumbledore hates Dementors. But, but that's still, know. but that threat isn't even enough to get him to do his job right. Mm-hmm. Like, he screws up in a big way. A couple of times. A couple yeah. of times. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a very, he's consistent at being inconsistent with his job. <laughs> like, to be fair, you do need someone in the group that's not, like... The perfect soldier, like just That's from right. like a writing perspective, like right. not I mean, everyone's right. gonna be like stellar, not everyone's gonna think... be the like, yes, you're the perfect addition to our no. crew. Do you think Dumbledore is just like, all right, I need him for one specific thing. Let's just maybe give him a potion during the important bits and then <laughs> wake him up when it's like, okay, what's the intel on what the underworld is doing? Okay, this crook is doing this, this crook, this is being sold, this is being bartered. Great, check out. Or <laughs> like, there's like just... purposely I'm sure that, yeah. like, oh yeah, there's this shipment coming in that would be beneficial, right. and so he ends up being super tired and then doesn't pay attention to the important information anyway. Right. So Ooh, I like that. That's like next level. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm hoping, I'm hoping Dumbledore thinks like that, but clearly okay. Not, not let's really. look <laughs> ahead to everything we find out in book seven. Like <laughs> Dumbledore does think that deeply, just doesn't necessarily make the connections that need to be made that would have solved a lot of problems but <laughs> i'm sure if, if albus dumbledore was sitting here and heard that criticism he's like julie i've done a lot here <laughs> i've done a lot of things he is just as deceptive and manipulative as voldemort except he does it for his perceived good the greater good for yeah. the greater good he does it for the greater good 
And I don't think he would deny that, though. I think he would be like, yep. Yeah. Yep. I... He never said he was perfect. Dumbledore's problem is. He never said he was perfect, but <laughs> we might have some disagreements. <laughs> future books. Oh, yeah. fun times! But we will get to those in future books. Yeah. With that, thank you for listening. Thank you for all the support on the polls that we have running on Spotify. Take a look at the one that dropped with this episode. Please like, comment, share this podcast with everybody really does a whole lot to help us out and grow so thank you guys for listening and we will be back with chapter six next week thanks thank you for listening to hogwarts a podcast if you like what you've heard please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on twitter and instagram at hogwarts a pod